Good morning and welcome to the Monday Main Point. It is December the 21st, the week of Christmas, and uh, we are here. Uh, we're actually one member short today. I'm Jonathan Hendrickson. I'm associate pastor here at Rosa Sharon Baptist Church. I'm joined with Jeremiah Custer, our youth pastor, and our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy. Blake's not able to be with us today. Uh, he is away, but uh, the three of us are looking forward to a great discussion on the book of Zechariah. Um, we are finishing up, wrapping up next uh, next Sunday, Jeremiah. You're going to be wrapping up with Malachi, our, our Echoes from Exile sermon series. We've been looking at the minor prophets and how those minor prophets' messages apply to our own troubling times. And so this week, we took a look at Zechariah. And uh, I, Jeff, I really like what the Bible Project has to say here. It says, reading Zechariah is a wild ride, and it really is. Zechariah happens, of course, as we mentioned last week, as a contemporary of Haggai. Uh, Haggai and Zechariah are both uh, post what we call post-exilic prophets. In other words, these guys were doing their prophecies after uh, is- Israel and Judah had been sent into exile. And Judah's in Babylon. Uh, Babylon's taken over by Persia. And the Persian kings come in, Cyrus does, and releases the, 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 um, the remnant from Jerusalem back uh, back into Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and uh, not everybody goes initially. But there's a small group that goes, and Haggai and Zechariah uh, will eventually come during the time. Zechariah happens during the king, time of King Darius, and he will go there to encourage the people. Zechariah as a book is a little odd. I'll just tell you if you decided. I mean, you probably know this if you've been following along and you read it yourself. You might be scratching your head going, what is this? Um, Because it is a little odd. We're going to talk, um, we'll talk a little bit. We're probably not going to touch on the really odd parts. I'll just kind of give you a rundown real quick of the book, though. Um, And I'm going to borrow heavily here from our friends at the Bible Project, uh, who have done a great job outlining this book. So you end up in chapter one with a brief introduction where where Zechariah comes in to these, um, we'll call them post-exiles, who are building Jerusalem, and he basically is warning them, don't do what your ancestors did, because that's why it ended up putting them in exile. He just gives them a, a warning. And then the next part of the book, um, really chapter from chapter 1, verse 7, all the way through chapter 8, is really comprised of about eight different dream visions that Zechariah has. These aren't actual things that he saw with his eyes. These are, these are like nighttime dream visions that he's having where God is trying to kind of speak to him uh, uh, in poetic ways and in vivid imagery and some strange imagery too about, um, about what he is doing and what he will do in regards to um, Judah and Jerusalem and, and the coming kingdom. And I won't go through all of them because they're a little strange, but they, they come in pairs, uh, like dr- there's eight of them in visions. One and eight are paired together, two and seven are paired together, three and six and four and five. Think like the NCAA bracket, right? They're, it's, it's the one and eight, faith, but they're together and they actually share a common theme across each one of these pairings. And the first pair is really, um, uh, you know, it's where they're looking towards 
Persia has come. Uh, it's a vision about Persia coming in and taking over. And then the Israelites, the remaining Israelites asking, is now the time for the Messianic kingdom? Is now when we should look for the Messiah to come? In the second pair of visions, um, you have uh, uh, visions that are focused on Israel's past sin and their exile. Um, you know, it was wickedness that landed them in this spot that they were in. And this is kind of a look backwards at, at, at what, um, again, it sort of pairs up well with the, the beginning where he's saying, don't do what your ancestors did. In the third pair of visions, you get this, um, uh, you get a, a idea that the, the New Jerusalem, uh, it's focused, both of those verse, visions three and six are focused on this New Jerusalem being a, being a beacon to all the other nations. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a light to the, to the rest of the nations and that it, that it will be a pure place, a holy place. Um, and then the last set of visions is really all about the Messianic kingdom and it deals with those uh, visions. And actually, Jeff, and these, this, this comes from um, uh, chapters uh, three and four in Zechariah and also chapter six. And these are the ones, um, I think in chapter 6 especially, this is where you have that idea of priest and king, that vision of priest and king coming together. Um, and that shows up in these visions as well. We'll talk about that briefly when we get into uh, what our, our recap of yesterday's message. But really this last group is all about how the Messianic kingdom will only happen if the people are faithful. If the people are faithful to God. And then we get into the last half, which is chapters 9 through 14. And here is where you really camped out mostly yesterday, Jeff, because these these are the places where Zechariah is totally focused. And maybe for the first time in all the minor prophets we've studied up to this point, it's been clear that, that a, Messiah, a Messianic kingdom will come in the last days. Um, and there's been some hints at it, but nothing like what we get when we get to Zechariah. When we get to Zechariah, there's a there's a heavy focus on the coming Messiah, what he's going to be like. And these are prophecies that happen long before Jesus ever comes into the picture. And yet they're perfect images that he will fulfill. Um, talking about uh, the, the, the coming Messiah, images of the Messiah as, as king and priest, as a shepherd over those people. And then in the last part, images of this messianic kingdom, this new Jerusalem, which will draw all people to it. Um, and it will be a place of peace and rest. And it seems as though what Zechariah is saying is that kingdom, that kingdom that, that everybody's looking towards, that kingdom, and, and you have to think about it in terms of these exiles, I guess. Because here's these exiles, they come over and they're building this thing, and it's not, it doesn't look exactly like it did before. Things are still in ruins, and they're not really sure. They don't, they don't feel like they're they're like, well, you know, when when will when will the actual kingdom come? And and he, and, and, and he's giving them this sort of glimmer of hope, this glimpse of hope that this kingdom will come, but only if, only if you are faithful. Because this kingdom is gonna be for the faithful. And honestly, this king will be for the faithful as well, as we'll find out. So, um, man, I, I, a wild book, a kind of a, a crazy book full of apocalyptic imagery, as you mentioned yesterday. Um, but I really like where you kind of camped out on this, Jeff, because I think it's, it's when we're looking at 
it's 14 chapters long. And when we're looking at all 14 chapters, as I was reading it again this morning, it's, it's hard to pinpoint and say, okay, well, this verse or this section is the section for now. Because that's been our goal is, okay, where does this minor prophet point right now? Um, and I really like where you went with that yesterday in 14.9. Uh, on that day, Yahweh will become king over all the earth, Yahweh alone and his name alone. And uh, we're, we're going to talk a lot about that. Um, you mentioned yesterday, though, and I want, I want to start with this. Um, you mentioned yesterday that as you were preparing for this message, you ran across an article mm-hmm. that literally paired Zechariah with day, the days of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that's... That's exactly what we were trying to do when we started this whole thing. Okay, well, how do these minor prophets, how do their messages apply? Um, you just touched on it briefly yesterday, but what are some things that you caught in that article? Like, how were they trying to connect Zechariah to, to where we are? Um, well, I mean, what I read was pretty much everything that was in there. It really wasn't like a conclusion thing, like, now you apply it this way. It oh, was okay. just saying, like, it was a chaotic time. The people were... Um, they were discouraged. They didn't have their temple. You know, all the things that we're kind of going through that we're used to as sure. worshipers of Christ. And, and um, so he was just trying to show that in this um, in this chaotic time, there is hope. And the hope was he pointed to the coming Messiah, his first coming, and as well as his second. Mm. So that was the whole thing, just shifting the focus back to, okay, Christ is coming. Because, you know, when they're there... Zerubbabel is is from the lineage of Judah, but he's not really the king. Right, he, he's set up to be the king, but he's more like a governor, and he can't really rule and reign. He has to do what he has to get his words from um, the king of Persia, mm-hmm. um, and so they really want their king. They they want the new David. They really want this this warrior king to come back in, and like nobody can tell us what to do. We're 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 the children of God. We're the Israelites, and so. I think the the reason I really liked it because the the way he described, uh, in particular that that one where he talked about him being a poet, and he said that uh, he used the language of imagination, interaction, and his visions. They were written as experiences more than explana- explanations, right. which helped me because a lot of people take apocalyptic literature and you know Old Testament literature and they kind of get into the prophecy and then they start trying to take things literally and all, and right. you start seeing. You're like, okay, does this really make sense? So, so what he was describing is these experiences they, these people were having, yeah, in a way that they could perhaps relate to, or maybe we could relate to, without trying to explain in great detail. Like, yeah, this is exactly what it means, right? So, I think that's kind of what drew me to that to kind of bring us to this point where, um, um, you know, to look at the whole total where I'm taking that 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 major verse and then looking back on those messianic prophecies that Jesus actually fulfilled the first time. Right. And then even for the second time, which where everybody kind of gets cloudy on what's going to happen at the end of time. So. Right. Exactly. You, you mentioned, in, in, I mean, the, the first point of your message yesterday was that he is, that he is uh, Lord over all the earth, the King over all the earth. And, and uh, from that first, from the first half of that 14, nine, and you mentioned the two comings, first coming, second coming. Um, and I, I like that. Of course, here we are. We're getting ready to celebrate the first coming. Yes. Um, I, um, I've heard people, Jeremiah, like say that it's a bad idea to focus on 
as people who live in the here and now, right? That it's a bad idea to focus on the coming king, the, the, the idea of his second coming. Because if, if all you're ever focused on, if you're saying, well, we're not going to have a perfect kingdom, we're not going to have perfection, we're not going to have peace and rest until Jesus comes again. And so let's just throw up our hands and we're just waiting on Jesus to come again. And that's all we ever focus on is his second coming. Um, and so we focus so much on his second coming, we don't even think, think about like the here and the now and all that. Um, is it important to focus on his second coming? And if so, like, where, where, where do those things kind of come in together? Because I think, I think that's part of what you were talking about yesterday. One of, one of the ways we think we can probably, or we look at, look at a time where we're living where we don't feel like we have a lot of hope. Uh, there, is a, there is a second coming coming, but do we focus just on that or do we focus on the here and now or is it both and? What, what do you think? Yeah, so I think um, I think these exiles who come back to this second temple, which is is being built during Zechariah's time, um, there was a tendency to to look at God's promises and just be apathetic about the future. Mm. And I think sometimes we do the same thing. We've seen the first coming; it was awesome. We believe we would say we believe in the second coming. Uh, we look forward to it, and like you said, there's some who, who just get apathetic because they're so focused on the second coming. Like I know, I know Jesus is going to come back; He's going to make all things right. Sometimes we don't really know how we fit into that plan, uh, but we just get apathetic, waiting. And sometimes, um, just in practicality, is how how we act in pra- practice in the world. We're just apathetic in general because we believe that Jesus is going to come back, make all things new, and we just don't have a good, sometimes we just don't have a good understanding of what we're supposed to be doing and how we play into the the current kingdom and the kingdom that is to come. So you know uh, the best answer is is both. Focus on the the fact that Jesus has already come. Right. um, But... Uh, there's that old adage. I think it might have been David Platt who said it. We spend so much time talking about the second coming when most of the world doesn't even know there was a first coming. Mm-hmm. That's that is good. And uh, so it's important to us. I mean, the hope that we all believe, especially when it comes to death and and death of loved ones and and just a future future world where there is no injustice. Those things are super important and they're motivating. But we've got to remember that. That second coming is only good for those who are believers. Yeah, yeah. It's only great. It's only good news, like Jeff preached a couple weeks ago. It's only good news for those who believe. Right. Um, and so it's our job to to take that to not just my neighbor or my family, but to, to the world. Right. So, Jeff, if like justice can't come until he comes, like if we can't have peace and rest until he comes, then... Is there a reason to fight for justice? I mean, is there a reason to stay? Is there a reason to even look for it? If 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 the Bible says, "Well, we can't have peace and justice. We're not going to have perfect peace and justice until He comes," you know, then like you know that whole thing. You you live through the whole peace in the Middle East. You know, everybody used to say, "Well, I, I, you know," or you know, the Miss America pageants. What do you want? Well, I want peace, peace. I, I want world peace, right? And and people are like, well, we need to fight for world peace. But the Bible says that world peace isn't going to come till he comes. So is there a reason to fight for world peace? Is there a reason to fight for peace on earth right now? Do, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, if it's not going to happen till he comes, why, why fight for it? Uh, well, that's a good question because um, 
you know, the, the reason I, I, when I looked at the passage, I thought about, you know, how to present it. <clears throat> and when you read it, it says, you know, that promise says that he's going to be Lord of, over all the earth. Well, mm-hmm. we believe he's come, but is he Lord over all the earth? And you would look around and say, no. Right. You know, but he is, as I think I've mentioned, it's there, but it's not there yet. Right. Uh, we know theologically and spiritually and all, everything is already at that point where God has completed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't. In our time frame, we don't know it. So, so, so again, we don't know the time frames. We don't know the future, but we do know he is coming back. And so, I need to do everything I can do. I mean, even when they were in exile, I think uh, God said for them to pray for the peace of the city they live in. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. You're right, uh, and and to build and work and I think Jeremiah or somebody. I was where, like, where is where, that? I was trying to remember where yeah, that, that's where, a, that's where, a, where to you know continue on yeah. and. You know, you do want to have good rulers. You do want to fight for justice. You do want to do all these good causes because you still have to live in this world mm-hmm. knowing that, yeah, perfect peace is going to come. But what we want is for people to find that perfect peace within their hearts. And so the best way to do that is if you have a government and rules and, and laws and all that that allow you to be able to present the gospel and spread the gospel. However, in some nations where people are being persecuted and uh, the rules are differently. The gospel is still spreading, so so we see it's still working out here. That people that don't have any future or hope, they're in some some regime regime that's running their nation, but still the gospel's getting out. Right. And here in America, where we have more freedom than anywhere, the gospel still gets out. We just probably take it more for granted. We're more apathetic and all like like these people were. Right. Than someone that that's hearing it for the first time that's in an impressive. Way. So, so yeah, he's coming. He came, but he came literally as a savior, a different kind of king. But he is going to come as this ruler and reigner. And um, and our 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 goal is not to focus on um, the destruction part of that that day, but to focus on okay, now this new Jerusalem, this new heaven, this new rule. He is truly. One Lord, everybody's worshiping him, all the nations, all the tribes of Israel, everybody that's become a believer, right. that's, that's accepted Christ, that they've acknowledged him and seen him, uh, are going to spend this time ruling and reigning forever with him forever. So yeah. that's that's our end goal. But uh, so we, we just get caught up in the here and now a lot of times. And then sometimes we get caught up in the end and we're like, well, we don't care about the here and now. No, we do need to care about the here and now. Right, right, exactly, and I think sometimes Jeremiah, we 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 long for this idea, or we we act as though we need a theocracy. And wh- what I mean by a theocracy, of course, is that that God is uh, over. You know, it's a government governed by God, right? And um, what, especially when you consider that the. I, Obviously, the ideal leader here that is, is being depicted in, in the prophecies of Zechariah is one who is both priest and king, right? So that very much sounds like theocracy, right? You've got a priest and you've got a king. Um, what do you say to those who are trying to make like America into a theocracy? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and, and I know I know you know what I mean when I say that. Yeah. So explain and maybe. To answer that question, but also explain what I'm talking about there in case people don't understand. Yeah, in order for, and I'm going to answer both your questions kind of the same same way. The okay. first question about justice should be working towards that, uh, and then talk about America. 
mixed into that. But with the with the first question about justice, um, which is a hard question, like if if true justice comes only in the end when Christ comes back, mm-hmm. then why should I work on this earth? And the easy answer is, you should. Duh. Like. <laughs> That's easy, right? Like, but is it duty? Is it just our duty? Like, because God commanded it, we're supposed to do it? Or is it, is it like part of who we are as the people of God? Or are we, or, or, or let me further that along a little bit more, or are we in our fight for justice, are we trying to bring about this kingdom so that it can come? Yeah. Right? Because there's some who believe that too. Yeah. That if we work hard enough on justice, we make this world enough of a just place. Jesus will come then, right? And, yeah. and, or, or we can have king, his kingdom on this earth. Yeah. So, yeah. So the thing with, with Christians and this kingdom on earth, uh, and I'm going to use that language, um, is, is um, we as believers are, are the idea, right? We, we are supposed to be a picture of that kingdom which is to come. Mm-hmm. I really believe that. And probably the best basis for that, or at least for me, is when Jesus gives his example prayer, right? He prays that God's will would be done and his kingdom will be brought uh, on earth as it is in heaven. So the current kingdom that is in heaven, the ideal kingdom that is in heaven, God's people are supposed to be practicing and, and doing those things on earth. Well, why? Why should we do that? And the motivation is always for God's great name mm-hmm. so that people would see the, the church and us practicing justice and, and a picture of the kingdom and be like, oh, I want that. Right. I want that God. Um, so for, for God's great name and for for uh, um, so that people will be motivated to 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 become Christians, that it would look attractive. Right. Like, Make the God. We talk about the gospel being attractive. Yeah. Right? And so and by, by so pursuing justice, you're saying. You're actually beautifying the gospel. Yeah. Okay. Uh, making making it uh, people want it. They already long for it in their hearts, but sometimes it's very hard to see in a fallen world. Mm. So they inside of them they want this kingdom, but like deep down inside, but it's very hard for them to see it because there's so many corrupt kingdoms. So how does that work with this theocracy? Should we be trying to literally build this kingdom on earth? Right. And uh, no. So it's it's kind of both and. We're supposed to bring the kingdom, God's kingdom, and, and the church or Christians on earth look like the kingdom in heaven. But in order for that kingdom to exist, all of sin has to be wiped out. So, so in order for that kingdom to exist, everybody would have to be a believer. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. So, 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 so does that mean? Are, are you saying then that 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 before God's kingdom can come, sin has to be completely eradicated? But we're saying that's never going to happen. So, how is that even possible? Yeah. So basically, I'm saying don't pursue it on earth. That's not oh, okay. our job. Right. It's not our job to pursue a theocracy on earth um, because it's it's just not our job to bring about that final kingdom it's it's simply our job to proclaim the name of jesus to to make his name famous among the nations to practice justice where there is injustice and that's our job on earth to bring more people into the kingdom but not that not not to work and put people in government well, that, that are all be, right. christians so that was gonna be my next question jeff is that 
okay, so then does that mean I shouldn't be focused on trying to put Christian leaders into Congress or that I, uh, you know, so that we can have, uh, you know, God-fearing men and women that are Bible-believing Christians in Congress making our laws. So they'll make laws that are, that are, that are, that are, that are, that are, um, that are God laws and that, you know, for, for, for a Christian church or for, for the, for the, for the church, wouldn't the ideal for for us be to to get uh, all all of all of the you know all of Capitol Hill to be Christians? I mean, what isn't that what we should aim for? Is that is that what it, it should that be our focus? Uh, well, if that could actually happen, that would be nice, you know, because God God ultimately is the one that puts up and takes down rulers and kingdoms mm-hmm. and governments, and so we see even in this story even in our exile as we've learned god actually used persia he used a couple of kings uh even even babylonian he used a couple of bad kings but right. um he still used these kingdoms and they created this this peace that allowed them then to go back to their homeland mm-hmm. um after the persians um eventually the greeks came mm-hmm. and then uh the greeks were so good about uh, people people's cultures and all they wanted to learn everything and so that's when the the hellenist came into play and that's when we got the greek language Mm -hmm. and the greek language then gives us the new testament you know so we can you know further the gospel so so yeah we should want good leaders and people that will have good laws and people that will allow the church to grow and expand and and to do all that there's nothing wrong with that but if we have bad leaders too we understand and know that we have bad leaders, but they're not our king. They're not our ruler. Jesus is. So it helps us stay in perspective and focus that our, our total mission is not to... I mean, the Puritans try to do it to begin with. Right. They want to legislate morality, behavior, and all that. And you really can't. You know, We're not here to save people. Jesus saves people. We're here to give them that opportunity to be saved. And, and so society then... We're not a Christian nation. A nation can't be saved. Mm-hmm. You know, people are saved. So we're a society of Christians and a society of non-believers coming together to try to have a, a, a world that we can live in uh, in spite of the sin that's out there. So as a Christian, when my, when my Christian candidate that I was backing it doesn't, isn't elected, do, do, I, do I look at that and go, oh, God's going to punish us now because we're not, we're not electing these Christian leaders. We're, we're a godless nation. And, and, uh, and, and so we're, you know, because, because, you know, my candidate didn't win that, you know, I'm, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, the unfortunate thing about our political system in, in America is that it's so, it's, it's become more of an industry and a business and a, um, it's not really uh, servant people going and serving the government That's and then true. go back home being farmers or lawyers or whatever they were. Right. So we've created, I think it was the, the French philosopher that, uh, that that came to America and he saw everything that was going on. He said, you know, America would be good as long as there are good churches. Mm. And so uh, what happens then is when, when the church you know, becomes involved in politics, which by its very nature is going to be uh, lean towards corruption and sin and bribery and all these things, right. then all of a sudden then we can be stained by it. Yeah. And so our thing is to try to be as apolitical as possible. Yeah, we, we do vote for candidates that we feel like line up the best 
possible way of how we believe in and and want to live. But we don't get so devastated when our candidate loses that we're going to, you know, all of our hope and everything is not in that basket. Our hope is in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just think it helps us focus. But to know that God, God even chose leaders and kingdoms to help uh, you know, format his gospel. Yeah, and yeah. even the Roman, the Romans were used. They, they were tyrants, and and Pilate thought he had the authority, but Jesus clearly told him, like, no, you don't have the authority. Right. Uh, the only reason you're able to do this is because my my father's allowing it. Yeah. And so that's the attitude we're supposed to have about governments and all. Doesn't mean we want bad government. We do want the best people and the best government. The the problem is, um. The, the the people that would be attractive now to go into government, mm-hmm. um, you see the good people, they just don't want to go through the things you go through now. Yeah. Get your name slandered. And yeah, no. I, all the stuff that goes through, I mean, it's, it's almost like good people are are are, 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 are propelled away from yeah. going into it. So we need to pray for good candidates and back Christians as much as we can. But, um, you know, but also don't let politics... Don't let political parties use our Christianity, whether it's liberal or conservative, and just use us for a vote and then just ignore us. Right. And that's what's happening on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Both both churches are being ignored by the politics. Or don't or, 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 or allow those things to dominate our focus as a church. I going back to what you said, our our uh, our focus, uh, Jeremiah, can't be it, it just can't be on on creating laws or, or, or just being so involved in the political process of trying to create this kingdom. Our focus has to be promoting the kingdom through promoting the gospel. That's what we're here to do. Now, along the way, do we fight for justice? Do we, if we see someone being oppressed, do we speak out against them? Of course we do, because you know that's what God would have us to do, I think. But but I don't. I just don't think that politics, like you said, needs to be the focus. Yeah, so let me, let me say it this way, maybe. Maybe this will make sense to some people. Um, when we as Christians act, we act as citizens of a different kingdom. Mm. And the Bible is clear that, or Jesus was clear, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm-hmm. So when Christians pursue justice and righteousness, it's not because of we, we're American. It's because we're citizens of a different kingdom. Right. And if we're citizens of a different kingdom, then what kingdom is being promoted? Is it America that's being promoted or is it God's kingdom that's being promoted? Mm-hmm. And people just need to know that that's our motivation. We are, we're, the Bible's clear. We're, we're strangers. We're exiles. We're refugees. We're immigrants, aliens. All of these words are used in the Bible to describe us mm-hmm. as Christians. Yeah, and just like with the exiles that we've been studying here, it wasn't God's plan for them to... Uh, to make Babylon the, the 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 new kingdom, or to take to make this 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 sort yeah. of pagan nation. All right, you go in there and you make these pagan nation believers. No, you go in as as God fearers, and and you go in. You remember my promises, and you stay faithful to my promises. But remember, the kingdom is coming, uh, and and you can point people to it. And one day I will draw all nations to me. You know, I'll, I'll draw all nations to me. But it is not your job to go in and conquer Babylon and turn them into, you know, a God-fearing nation. That that's not what he never calls them to do. That while they're in exile, never t- he uses Persia 
and he, and he you know and then like you said the Greeks later but he doesn't tell he doesn't tell the Jews in Babylon uh, the Jews sitting in Babylon turn Babylon into something different you know what I'm saying no and all the awesome stories we have about the Jews in Babylon aren't them fighting to overthrow the government or they're just simple people who are being obedient to God yeah and only God yeah and those are the things recorded in scripture not things like uh, you know they overthrew the government and and they won this little battle here and it's things like like the the Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and the fiery furnace who just would not bow down right and then a decree is made later from that king uh, of course, from the working of God and those three uh, guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, the decree would be later made that, that, that there would be no other God worshipped mm-hmm. except for the God of these three men mm-hmm. who we literally knew nothing about before that point right. except that they were exiles from Babylon. So, right. yeah, I mean... The same thing is true for Daniel. The same thing is true yeah. for Esther that we talked about like, you know, in, in, in our Wednesday evening Bible study, just in our character study. Yeah, I, I I agree, and I know we spent a long time on this on this topic, but I think this is a topic that a lot of people get confused on. If I'm being if I'm just being honest, I think there's a lot of people who get confused about well, what should our role be, and and when it comes to this coming kingdom, and Zechariah is clearly focused on this coming kingdom. He's also focused on this coming king, and mm. man, there's so much. Would you say yesterday that? Outside of Isaiah, maybe there's no other prophet who mentions as many prophecies about Jesus as Zechariah does. Um, I mean, we get the whole betrayal by 30 pieces of silver, riding in on a colt of a donkey, um, the, um, the the piercing, the wounds to his chest. I mean, you know, like, it is, and the fact that he's going to be a shepherd for his people, and, and all those. And I look at this, and I think, like, I don't think there's any debate among historians that Zechariah is written prior to Jesus coming on the scene. I mean, nobody thinks that somebody pinned Zechariah sometime after Jesus came along and, and like sort of fed those words in there, you know, that he would do all these things. These were clearly things that happened like before and then are recorded after, you know. And so um, how can you look at Zechariah and especially as a, I mean, let's be honest, especially as a Jew, right? Especially as someone who is who is faithful to the Hebrew Scriptures and just not see Jesus' story. Right, and that's why when I'm doing my research and all, uh, I come across the MessianicBible.com. Yeah. Because, you know, they're Jewish people that are believers in Christ. Right. You know, we have the our Passover thing and all, so you, we can learn a lot because they're looking at it from a different pers- perspective. Sure. So certainly. that we're not reading into something from our point of view thinking, okay, this means this about Jesus. They're looking at it from, yeah, we were looking for a Messiah. And so they're the ones that clearly brings bring these scriptures out mm-hmm. that's pointing to Christ, to pointing to the Messiah because there's no other exp- explanation there. You know, they try to say that the suffering servant is, is the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. And throughout history, they've suffered and they've right. been mistreated. And so this is just a retelling of their story over and over and over. Well, but you then just the, can't, you can't, you that know. That doesn't work because, no, because, because then clearly, you got a priest. That you, I mean, you, you know, you're clearly, 
they're pointing to a, an actual part. I mean, right, they, they believe Messiah say. is coming. And so uh, he did come. You're right. And he did fulfill all these scriptures. And, but he came in a way that was totally caught everybody off guard. Because think about it. When Jesus came, we, we just got to talk about uh, talking about um, political parties and being intermittent. Right. The, the temple priest, Pilate, the government, Herod, they were all in cahoots together yeah. against Jesus. Why? Because they were threatened that he was going to take away their place and their standing, their position, and their power. Think about that. Yeah. So that's why they missed it. The people that should have been excited about it were the ones that didn't really want it. Yeah. And so, um, so that's the same thing for us is that, you know, we just have to open our eyes and look and see. And do we want Jesus to come back? Yes. Or we want Jesus to come back for power so he can destroy our enemies and <laughs> kill everybody and punish all these sinners and all like, well, if we do, then we better get in line because we're getting ready to get it too. Yeah. No, it's only by the grace of God that, that we're going to be able to stand there and recognize him and bow down and worship him and know who he really is. Yeah. We're not going to see him and recognize him and then mourn and say, oh my gosh, I made the I made the eternal mistake right. of rejecting this one. So I think God has put so many snapshots in there to, so people couldn't miss it if they're really looking for it. If you have eyes to hear, eyes to see and ears to hear, like Christ talked about when he was here on earth. So then, Jeremiah, here we are at Christmas, and what do we say to the... Like, how can we use Zechariah and these and, and, and other prophecies, like Isaiah and stuff especially, but i got specific things that we find in Zechariah. How do we use that to speak to skeptics? I mean, because we know that they're out there. Like, how can you be skeptical when it's right there in black and white? I mean, like, how do we, how do we use this or maybe, how, you know... How we use the Christmas story to maybe speak to people's hearts right where they are right now. Yeah, um, I mean, specifically with the skeptics, um, I mean, it's just it's, it's difficult. This this is a difficult question because you don't want to ram the Bible down their throat. Sure, sure. And there's all there's a lot of historical context and and to be honest, some presuppositions they would they would have to have. Yeah. Uh, because they haven't studied it for themselves. Sure. Uh, that presupposition being that this actually was written before Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, before Jesus showed up. And we believe that, and we can defend that really well. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope that you could defend that very <laughs> well, uh, that we believe it was written before and that all these things, right. there's probabilities out there of these things happening, and they're, it's, it's re- insane. Like, right. Just like six things, like he was born in Bethlehem, uh, he was born of a virgin. All all things that he had no control over. Yeah, yes. things that, that, that were that were things that happened to him. Yeah, and it, like it's the odds of those things happening to one person. Yeah, uh, statisticians and, and, and mathematicians have done the figures on that, and the probabilities are astounding. They're just they they're almost so improbable they seem impossible. Actually, well. D- different discussion for another time, but uh, but yeah, that's why I think Christmas is such a good opportunity, because those those six that we promote, or, or we'll just do two for now. Those two things that we promote uh, that he was born in Bethlehem mm-hmm. at Christmas, and that he was born of a virgin at Christmas. If if they can accept those two things about Jesus, uh, and of course everyone likes to talk about or. Maybe doesn't like to talk about Jesus at Christmas, but there's a great opportunity to talk about Jesus 
at Christmas, especially in America. Um, we just got a great opportunity to show them, look, this was talked about back here and it was talked about here. And, and all of these events were described about this Jesus. And then Jesus later would say, uh, yeah, that was about me. And this was about this. And Mm -hmm. just kind of put the, help people put the connections together. Um, but for the skeptic out there, um, maybe you might be a little skeptical. And to be honest with you, uh, I'm I'm in the same boat sometimes because literally in Jeff's message yesterday, he was talking about how Zechariah was pointing to the first coming, but also Zechariah was pointing to the second coming. Mm-hmm. And literally, John in AD 90 is writing uh, the book of Revelation, and he's quoting from Zechariah saying it's about the second coming. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't see it. Uh, John clearly sees it, and it's in Scripture, so I have I must believe it. But even me, with all the information that I have, extra information, sometimes it's hard for me to see. Sure. Uh, like things to come. Right. Um. So, don't be so harsh on on people. Yeah, you know, I, I really like that point because um, well, I think people need to understand, and Zechariah is a good example. You know. Even we as ministers of the gospel, we as shepherds of, of the flock um, that we've been given to, to you know, to our under-shepherds, you know, um, we, we, we tackle a book like Zechariah and sometimes walk away scratching our noggins, too. It's yeah. not, so if you, if you struggle sometimes, you're like, well, I struggle, I, I'm clearly not holy enough, or I'm not, you don't need to think like that. And if you're skeptical sometimes, you read something like, I don't know if I really understand that well enough to believe it, then you're not alone in that. Sometimes we have trouble with that too. We we all struggle with it from time to time. But ultimately, when I walk away from a book like Zechariah, I'm looking at a big picture and I see a big picture of a new hope and a big picture of a future hope. And in a time that's as chaotic as 2020 has been, um, I don't know, that's something to celebrate. All right, we're out of time, fellas. Um, we went to 42 minutes here, so we're... We probably need to shut this down. Uh, we uh, here at Rosa Sharing want to wish all of you a very Merry Christmas. I'm sure you guys want to say that too. Um, so I'll speak for all of us here and say thank you for joining us for Monday Main Point. Uh, may you and yours have a Merry Christmas, and we'll see you back here next week. We're, 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 we're scheduled to do this again on, on the 28th. So we'll be talking about Malachi, and uh, we'll wrap up Echoes from Exile. I kind of... I hesitate to put this one to bed, fellas. I'm look, I'm, I've, I've enjoyed this. I've learned a lot from it. So, hopefully, you have too. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. <laughs> so long.